A controversial new opinion from the Attorney General's office in a conversation with the Comptroller's office on Metro's finances. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of November 18th. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. This week, we've got a lot of material to cover, but we wanted to start out with a quick discussion on a recent Attorney General opinion uh, related to the David Byrd situation. So Natalie, give people a little bit of background and then the latest. Yeah, this this opinion came out late in the week, last week. It had been requested by House Speaker Cameron Saxon, actually a a couple days before he was officially sworn in as House Speaker in August. Um, He announced in August that he was going to be requesting this opinion from uh, Attorney General Slatery, the the question being, can a member, i.e. David Byrd, be expelled from the legislature for conduct that predates his time in the legislature? Um, And he had asked for that opinion amid pressure from um, activists, certainly a couple Democrats, uh, to move forward with an expulsion vote against David Byrd, the representative who has been accused of sexually assaulting three women when they were teenagers, when he was there. basketball coach in high school back in the 80s. Um, and and Cameron Sexton said he was going to request his opinion um, and essentially shut down the conversation about expulsion that day during the special session saying, we need to wait until we get back this attorney general opinion to know whether uh, we can legitimately move forward with expelling him for something he's accused of doing 30 years ago. So what this opinion says is that... Um, It's not something the attorney general advises the legislature to do, that they should move with extreme caution and it should be an extreme circumstance, which many people are arguing the the allegations against David Byrd are extreme. Um, So the attorney general says there is no historic precedent for uh, the legislature in Tennessee to expel someone for something they did while they weren't in office, but that the Constitution does not prohibit it. And of course, the uh, reaction to this has been from from critics, uh, essentially that the, they're balking on their duties. The legislature, uh, Republican leadership, um, there has been some kind of break, though, of some sort within Republicans uh, during the the consideration of this resolution from uh, Democrat Gloria Johnson in the special session. Uh, you heard um, uh, House House Judiciary Chairman Michael Curcio say essentially uh, the. These allegations should be vetted during the Judiciary Committee uh, if that is, in fact, the the way that the body wants to run. Um, This decision does not preclude that from occurring. And Curcio, you talked to him after this opinion came out, and he seems to be receptive to still having some kind of hearing on this issue. Yeah, so during the special session, uh, Representative Gloria Johnson, a Democrat from Knoxville, had uh, brought this resolution to expel David Byrd, and Michael Curcio stands up and says he wanted to make a motion to move that that resolution back to the Judiciary Committee, uh, and that he pledged he would hold hearings to compel testimony from David Byrd, from his accusers, uh, as soon as he could get the speaker's go-ahead. Um, and since then, since this, this Attorney General report came out, um, Curcio put out a statement saying, Um, because the attorney general's office counsels against doing this and the speaker says he doesn't support an expulsion vote, that um, Curcio would not be moving forward with any 
judiciary hearings this fall, this winter ahead of the session. But I talked to him and he said if a bill is is refiled or resolution is refiled to expel David Byrd um, in in January or when we come back to session that he he said he commits to holding these hearings that he promised he would hold. Um, it it doesn't seem like there's a, a ton of Republicans standing up to say they think this should happen. It seems like Hersey was, has kind of stuck his neck out there by himself, but certainly the Democrats in the legislature are saying they they applaud Curcio for doing that. The Both the attorney general's opinion uh, just coming out, you know, just a little bit more than a uh, couple weeks before Thanksgiving and a couple months before the legislature uh, reconvenes, as well as David Byrd's continued avoidance of answering whether he's going to seek re-election uh, will ensure, at least for now, that this issue is going to continue to be brought up during the next session, uh, which starts in January. So uh, it's not going away anytime soon. I anticipate more protests and anticipate more stories, anticipate more uh, questions about the ongoing developments related to David Byrd. Joining me this week on the podcast, I have two special guests. We've got uh, the Tennesseans Metro Nashville reporter, Yihan Jung, and we've got uh, Jason Mumpower, the deputy comptroller. We're going to get into some Metro uh, stuff in the weeds. So, Yihan, can you give listeners who may not know a little bit of background of why we're having you on uh, to talk about Metro finances and the state's involvement? Right. Well, last week, you know, Metro Council had a two-hour presentation from the Comptroller's office, kind of going into the city's financial situation. Half of that was dedicated towards the water system and kind of the the water rates needing to go up to address infrastructure costs. And the second half, you know, talking about its budget and the city's practices um, that leads to where we are this year, where we don't have a budget this year that will be approved by the state as it is. Okay. And and so, Jason, tell me about the the comptroller's involvement in this. Why why is the 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 city of Nashville's finances and the budget issues? Why is that a concern to the state of Tennessee? Well, the office of the comptroller of the treasury is ingrained in the constitution of the state of Tennessee and has been uh, for many many years. Cities and counties and local governments of all types are creations of the state and. The comptroller has always been charged with a level of oversight over cities and counties and other forms of local government, and it's one that we take very seriously. Any local government that has debt, which is pretty much every local government, has to every year submit their budget to the office of the comptroller for approval. Uh, That's something that, that happens usually as a matter of routine. But in this case, this year, uh, Nashville is just finding itself in a, in a tough spot as a result of a series of decisions made over a number of years. And so uh, right now, Nashville is operating on a budget that has not been approved. It's a budget that's currently out of balance. And so it's time for us to come in and, and basically fill our, fill our role, um, and, and that's what we're trying to do. And, and for readers that aren't familiar, listeners that aren't familiar, there is a provision in, in state law that gives a, a um, significant authority to the comptroller's office that if the city's finances aren't in order, uh, the comptroller can come in and do essentially what is known as a takeover of that city's financial books. Is, is that right? 
Well, that is exactly right. That power is ingrained in uh, Tennessee Code Annotated, but I'll tell you it's one that we never want to utilize, and and certainly we don't want to utilize it in this case. <clears throat> it's there, and uh, if, if the Metro Council doesn't step up and, and get its house in order, we'll do it. But it's not anything we want to do, and I feel confident, and the comptroller, Justin P. Wilson, feels confident that it's not going to get to that point. Uh, We were very grateful for the time we were given the other night at the Metro Council meeting. Uh, We've heard from Metro Council members since then. We've seen blogs and things like that that they put up on the web. We feel like they understand that the problem is real. We feel like they understand the problem is grave, and they have a limited amount of time. But we feel like they're they're up to solving the problem. And and you know that's the that's I guess that's the thing that I want to emphasize the most in this in this whole podcast is that that Nashville is a great city and it's in a great place. It has a booming economy, and uh, this problem is real, this problem is significant, but this problem is very solvable. All it takes is making a few tough decisions on behalf of the Metro Council. And again, we're very optimistic and, and think that they can and will do that. And it, I think council members left you know, the, the conversation with the comptroller kind of with three clear you know, to-do lists. You know, short term, you know, get this year's budget in check for that to be approved by the state. Long term, get a new cash management policy that, you know, addresses Nashville's financial situation and make sure that moving forward, you know, we're not in this in a situation where we're selling off one-time assets to pay for reoccurring costs. And then third, of course, you know, change the water rates for for Nashville in order to fix infrastructure costs and meet the demands, you know, over the decades that have grown in Nashville. And, and what the city's budget issue this year is, you know, this year's budget banks on, you know, two deals to fill, you know, 41, about $41 million. One was the deal to, you know, hand over its on-street parking to a private company and the second to sell its downtown energy system. You know, the parking deal is now dead and we're not really sure what's going to happen moving forward with the energy system sale. So, you know, Mayor Cooper and council members now have to address that and make changes through legislation and they can do that in several ways. And I think what the comptroller's office is saying, you know, it's pretty clear two ways is to, you know, raise revenue and, you know, spend less. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the options that they're considering, you know, is a sales tax, also, is in, it's implementing more payment in lieu of tax programs that Cooper did with the Music City Center earlier uh, since he took office in September, and also, you know, possible scooter fees. So I think, you know, there are some ways, including, you know, cutting spending that, you know, the city can view as non-discretionary. And I know the former finance director in the city has, you know, mentioned the funding for affordable housing and also, you know, nonprofit organizations that receive city funding. So, Eon just went through a a wide swath of mechanisms, ways that the city can fix its situation right now. You guys from the comptroller's office aren't really prescribing one way or another right now. Is that right? That's exactly right. We're not in the business of, of prescribing a way to fix it. Let me boil it down for your listeners that might be new to this issue and have heard everything we've talked about. It it can sound complex, but the situation is actually very, very simple. And it's not oversimplifying it to say that the issue is the same at the Metro Council as it is around your kitchen table at home. You cannot spend more money than you have coming in. And over the past two or three years, uh, the... uh, City of Nashville has been doing just that. They have been spending more than they have money than they have had coming in. 
They've they've continued to spend, but they've hedged on raising taxes. And so how have they how have they continued to spend? Well, they've borrowed. They pulled out the old credit card, and now the credit card is maxed out. So they have. Um, just as was described, a couple of real urgent, urgent deadlines coming up. They need to get their budget structurally and balanced for the year that we're in. When I say structurally balanced, that means that recurring revenue has to match up with recurring expenses, non-recurring revenue used for non-recurring expenses, and um, that will probably have to be done with a combination of revenue increases and spending cuts, uh, not just tamping down future spending, but but probably cutting some existing spending. Uh, and then they need to really get their self, their house in order before they start looking towards the next budget. Because uh, one of the biggest and, and most critical issues facing Nashville is they're very cash poor. They've, uh, they've really worn through their savings accounts. Um, right now, Nashville has some big debt payments uh, on the calendar ahead of them. And if they stay on the same track they are right now, they, they're not going to have the cash on hand to make those debt payments, which means they have to turn around and start borrowing from different funds in the city, which is an accounting trick they've used for the past two or three years. Really doesn't get you anywhere fast. All it does is put some of your other agencies in the city in jeopardy. Most notably, you mentioned the, the water department. Uh, they borrowed heavily from that fund. And uh, uh, and certainly, the water issue is an important issue too. It's kind of separate in that the water system, just like any utility system, is supported by ratepayers, not taxpayers. So over here, on one hand, you have an issue for the taxpayers of uh, Metro Nashville dealing with the structural soundness of their budget. And then over here, you have an issue for the water rate payers uh, as it deals with the water system. Not all taxpayers are rate payers. Not all rate payers are taxpayers. Two different pools of money, two critical problems that must be addressed very soon. You mentioned, you know, you led the presentation on the water system to Metro Council, and you were pretty direct in your words saying, you know, for especially the incumbents there on council that the water system has, you know, gone down the drain. Can I ask you, you know, when the Comptroller's office became concerned about what was happening with Nashville water systems and how that commu- how was and how that was communicated with the administration or the city? Well, the Metro Nashville Water Department uh, has been called before a board that is attached to the Comptroller's office. It's called the Water and Wastewater Financing Board, or WWFB for short. In order to be called before the WWFB, a utility system has to exhibit two consecutive years of negative net position. What that means is basically that the expenses have to outweigh the revenue coming in, and, and that's been happening in in Metro Nashville. And so uh, over the last uh, two years at least, uh, the Comptroller and I, Comptroller Justin Wilson and I, have met in person with uh, Mayor Barry and met in person with Mayor Briley. We also have communicated with uh, the mayor's office in writing. And really, we were kind of stunned and surprised to hear that the communication about the the financial state of the water system hadn't been passed on to the members of the Metro Council. but evidently, that's the way it is, uh, uh, according to questions we were asked the other night. So, you know, if anything, I'm glad we were able to be at the Metro Council meeting the other night to make sure that the Metro Council understands the uh, 
the reality and the seriousness of the situation with the water system. Another reason it's so important is because, uh, you know, kind of merging the two issues that we're talking about, the city's uh, operating budget has been borrowing heavy from the uh, the water fund to help balance its budget. Now, the city has to pay that back, but, I mean, that leaves both entities cash poor. And uh, as, as the water director explained the other night at Metro Council, uh, the water system has been operating okay in terms of cleanliness, and, and nobody was at risk of drinking ca- contaminated water. But they had been foregoing uh, crucial infrastructure repairs and development. And, you know, in any water system across Tennessee, when you look out there, the pipes are 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. Which is common throughout the country, but yes. Yes, common. But But it also speaks to the fact And it works, but it speaks to the fact that you have to, on a continual basis, keep up your capital investment program to ensure the sanctity of your infrastructure, to ensure that, I mean, it's as simple as this. When you go to the kitchen in the morning and you turn on the spigot and you put your glass under there to get a glass of water, you want, number one, the water to come on, and number one, the water that comes out to be clean and drinkable. Sort of like uh, paving roads. you got to make sure that that revenue is there because it's continually going to be an issue that needs to be addressed. And once you start getting behind fixing things like water leaks, it's very hard to ever catch up. Mm-hmm. And you were pretty clear at the meeting, you know, and I, I believe now from what we've heard from council members, there seems to be one support for, you know, adopting a water rate increase. But, you know, say they don't do that. I mean, you said something along the lines of the state can order so. Can you talk a bit about that mechanism? Well, that is inherent uh, in the power of the WWFB. Uh, We hope that the Metro Council will want to control its own destiny and and take care of the water and wastewater rate payers of of Nashville and, and adjust the rates. We think they're going to. But if they don't, the Water and Wastewater Financing Board can order a rate increase and uh, have that go into effect, and uh, that will happen. Uh, again, it's just better for everybody, a cleaner method for everybody if Nashville Metro Council will go ahead and do that. Again, I think they will. I'm encouraged uh, by the fact that they seem like they want to take on this important issue. But if not, there is the backstop of uh, the WWFB, which uh, won't fail to act, I'm certain. State law says that uh, utilities must operate in the black. They cannot operate in the red, and and the Water and Wastewater Financing Board uh, takes their role seriously. And uh, but hopefully, Metro Council is going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to turn to kind of what's next in this phase, right? Um, you guys have already had a meeting. Obviously, you've given sort of a, a warning of sorts to Metro. But uh, the other day when I was talking to the comptroller, uh, he basically said something about February be, being kind of a, a deadline of sorts. Um, what needs to happen between now and the first part of next year uh, in order to give you, uh, the office, uh, a assurances that uh, they're moving in the right direction. One thing that has already begun to happen is that the Office of the Comptroller of the Treasury is already having weekly meetings uh, with the City of Nashville finance staff. Uh, We began those meetings two or three weeks ago uh, so that we can keep track of what's going on. Uh, We had requested, uh, I think back in September or sometime in that time frame, a written cash management plan. And uh, we're still awaiting that, but we know that it's in the works and it's on track. That will be key. You know, February of 2020 is really when Nashville actually looks to begin crafting its budget for the next year. Mm -hmm. And so expecting that they have solutions to the current problem before they start working on next year's budget 
is very common sense and fundamental and is really what we're looking for. So it wasn't really included in the presentation last week, and part of the comptroller's finding was, you know, the the funding the city receives from the state. And I think we heard a few pushback from council members during the presentation, you know, Budget Chair Mendez and council members Porterfield and Vircher, who talked about, you know, what can the city expect or how does this play into the city's financial situation with the decreased funding from the state? And the question of, you know, is, is a pie big enough? Comptroller Wilson said that, you know, all the districts that receive funding from the state probably believe that they're not getting their fair share. I mean, what do you say about criticisms that the city is being underfunded by the state? Well, I I don't necessarily have a perspective on that. That's in the comptroller's office. That's not our role. But I will hearken back to the fact that before I was ever in the comptroller's office, I spent 14 years as a member of the Tennessee legislature. And but you're happy to be in the comptroller's office. <laughs> well, I love, we'll, we'll I love what I do. I love what I do. But uh, I was in the, uh, in the House of Representatives for 14 years. And when I was in the House, I represented a community in Upper East Tennessee. I represented a, a third of Sullivan County, which is one of the state's biggest counties. But I represented all of Johnson County, one of the state's smallest, most rural counties. And, you know, I can tell you every year I would hear from them that they did not feel like they were getting their fair share from the state. Here you have Metro Nashville doesn't feel like they're getting their fair. Here you have tiny Johnson County in the Upper East doesn't feel like they're getting their fair share. I've never heard a school system say, hey, I'm getting too much money. Can you all just keep a little? Uh, so that's just kind of the that's just kind of the situation. I I think that I think that I. I I don't expect uh, many changes to the BEP funding formula. You know, one thing that I can tell you is our office is able to verify that Nashville is getting everything they should and are accounted for under the current formula. Uh, There are no mistakes there. We actually on our website have a BEP calculator uh, that people are able to use themselves if if they want to see that. So uh, uh, I understand if... If, you know, folks feel like they want the state to increase funding for education, uh, you have a very, very robust legislative delegation here in, in Davidson County, and uh, people ought to reach out to them, and uh, they're, they're very prominent players in the legislative process, and, and it would be to choose that route. But uh, I understand the argument, but, but under the formula as it's currently written, Nashville is getting uh, what it's slated to get. As we look to wrap up, um, I wanted to ask you sort of not to be all gloom and doom, but let's go down the path of the worst case scenario. Let's say that the city is taken over by the comptroller, the finances at least. Um, how long could that takeover happen? And the the most recent example was the, the tiny town of Jellicoe uh, north of uh, Knoxville, which was a multi-year, is that right, uh, takeover. Um, I, I believe it started in 2012, but really 13, and then it continued on. Right. It, it was it was longer than it should have been. The, the answer is that the takeover, which, again, I don't think will come to that, but if it was— it would it would go on until Nashville got its budget in shape and got it balanced. I mean, we would hope that it would go on a very brief time. But are uh, we talking just one budget, or are we talking multiple budgets? You know, that you can project in three and five years in the future. We're really just talking. I mean, we're focused right now on the current budget, the budgets that are balance. But uh, so so really, we're focused on that one. It would be a takeover of that one, and uh, I would think that. Um, 
if the Nashville Metro Council is not able to come together and get their get their self back on track, then it wouldn't take very long under comptroller to control for people to realize just how important it is because uh, it, it's not going to be any fun for anybody, most of all the comptroller. You said earlier, and then Comptroller Wilson said this during his presentation as well, you know, he's giving the city time to get the budget in order. How we do that is up to us. But say, you know, down this hypothetical world that we're going down, if the Comptroller were to go, you know, take over the city's finances, what authority and what decisions can the Comptroller make? I mean, are we talking about a weekly bill here? Are we talking about cutting funding left and right? I mean, could the Comptroller even increase a property tax rate? Well, we deal with this, and and this is something we've dealt with statewide, east, middle, and west, and cities and counties, small, medium, and large. Uh, Nashville, certainly. Well, I I can't say the largest. We dealt with this issue in Memphis a few years ago when Memphis was still the largest city in Tennessee. So, uh, you know, the the statute gives the comptroller authority to direct uh, cuts and reductions in expenditures and gives the comptroller authority to uh, direct increases in revenue. But you know what? If the comptroller was going to come in and just raise revenue for you, every local government that was facing a tough financial situation, they would be begging us to come in. They'd be wanting us to make those tough decisions for them. So we're not going to do that. What we tell every community where this becomes an issue is that before we used our authority to raise revenue, we would first cut every discretionary dollar in the budget. And uh, so that's not something people want to happen. I mean, the things that are on the list in terms of discretionary expenditures are are not things that people would normally think of as discretionary. Nobody wants that to happen. I don't think it is going to happen. And while somebody, a casual listener, somebody who's not been tuned into this story could hear this and think there's a lot of doom and gloom, let me say again. Uh, The sun is shining in Nashville. It has a robust economy. The ability to fix this problem is there. It's going to take some tough decisions. It's going to take some belt tightening. It's going to take some higher revenue. But it can be done, and I believe it will be done, in short order, and we'll be back to seeing good things happen in Metro Davidson, Nashville. Well, that's all the time we've got today, but I I appreciate you both coming on and talking this issue through, and we'll continue to follow it through uh, your reporting and and your continued uh, watch of what Nashville does. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And now for this week's notebook dump, House Speaker Cameron Sexton and Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally have both appointed members to a working group, as they call it, which is essentially a step below an ad hoc committee, to study issues related to the state's temporary assistance for needy families program. That is a block grant the state has that has accumulated more than $730 million in unspent funds. Former House Speaker Glenn Cassida who is undergoing an audit from campaign finance officials, has very few receipts to produce uh, thus far in the audit process. Uh, Recently, the uh, campaign finance uh, panel, the Registry of Election Finance, said that they had not received many receipts and were trying to actively get them, uh, but Cassida had not produced many. Uh, When I spoke to Cassida recently, he was very surprised, to say the least, uh, to hear this suggestion. The special prosecutor and activist Justin Jones' criminal case 
which is assault charges against Jones for allegedly throwing a, a cup of liquid at Glenn Cassida and Representative Deborah Moody this winter, uh, has said that the the defendant in the case, Justin Jones and Cassida and Deborah Moody, have reached an agreement for Justin's charges to be dropped if he abides by the conditions of his bond release until April. And in other news, Justin Jones has also formally launched his bid for Congress. He is planning to primary Representative Jim Cooper um, for Tennessee's 5th Congressional District. He launched his campaign on Monday with an event at Fisk University uh, in which he he laid out his platform uh, and wants to challenge uh, Jim Cooper's family dynasty. As always, thank you for tuning in to Grand Divisions. You can find us on Tuesdays or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, iTunes, Spreaker, all those accounts are good. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. Uh, also, these, this podcast is always brought to you and produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. Thanks again for listening. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week.